0: Well, it's a great privilege for me to come and to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Um, As I said earlier, I do feel I've had a relationship with your church for quite some time, of course, through Jason and others. Someone once asked me if I thought Jason was outspoken, and I said, not by anybody that I knew of. And uh, (laughs) so it's been been a wonderful relationship, and I, I hope all these things continue on. And thank you very much for your prayers, both ongoing and for the past prayers and investments that you've made in the work that we've had in India. I would like to invite you this morning to take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be looking primarily at verse 1, but I'm going to read three verses, so it's not a long reading this morning. But I'd like to have you turn there, and we'll read from God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says this, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Would you just pray with me for a moment as we contemplate these words? And now, Father, would you please, by the power of your Spirit, anoint these words as only you can do. And would you help us to have receptive ears and thoughts and minds to comprehend your truth and would you grant me favor in these moments and we ask this in jesus name amen derek redmond is probably not a household name especially when you think of olympic medalists but he has a very unique story he was a british 400 meter specialist and in 1992 He showed up at the uh, Barcelona Summer Olympics, hopeful of winning some sort of medal. He didn't care what it was. It could have been bronze, it could have been silver, it could have been gold. But he was hoping at least to get a medal. He'd had a very difficult career. As a 19-year-old, he had smashed all kinds of records uh, in the 400 meters. He was a tremendous hopeful as an athlete. And in the 1998 Olympics that were in Seoul, Korea, he was just about ready to run when something tore in the back of his Achilles, and just 10 minutes before the race was to be begun, he had to disqualify himself. He spent the next year having five surgeries to repair his Achilles tendon, and for the next three years continued to train just for the Olympics in Barcelona in 1992. His best friend was his dad, Jim who always was there to support him all the time, whenever he ran. And as they came into these 1992 Olympics, his father, Jim, went up in the stands to watch his son run. This this was the qualifying event. He only had to be one of four top finishers in two heats. And as he approached, he reminisced about all the things that he had gone through, all the difficulties, and now was his moment to place in the Olympics and to finally achieve the dream of an Olympic medal. But he had decided with his father that there was one thing that he would always do in this particular race. He had to finish the race. He had to finish the race. And as the race began, he placed himself into into the starting blocks. The gun went off and he took an early lead and it appeared that he was just going to ease himself into the finish of this particular heat. 175 meters away with a significant lead, he suddenly heard something pop. And it was his hamstring. And you maybe remember this. It's been on television several different times. All of a sudden, he started hopping and holding the back of his hamstring. And pretty soon, he fell to the ground. And medical services began to rush out with a cut. The the rest of the race passed him and finished. And he laid there screaming and crying and realizing with tears, I'm not going to finish with an Olympic medal. And as the medical personnel came out, he pushed them away, he pushed them away. And eventually, in pain, he stood up and he began to jump and hobble toward the finish line. His father began to run out of the stands. He pushed by all the security and ran out onto the field. He had no credential to do so. But he said, this is my son, this is my son. And maybe if you remember, the father embraced his son and together they approached the finish line with the son hobbling on one leg. And right as they came to the line, Dad, let go of Derek. And he finished the race and fell down in pain. And the crowd had seen this, and as they, as they saw what was happening, 65,000 people just went crazy. And it was like a roar of an ocean of applause and screaming, finish the race, finish the race. And that's exactly what this young man did. Well, this morning, I believe that the writer of the book of Hebrews is just like that crowd. They're calling to each one of us this morning, finish the race. And this is not a physical race, because there's no way in a physical race I would even be able to place. But this is a race, a spiritual race, a race for eternity, a race to be with God, a race to find everlasting Joy for the rest of our lives. And this is the race that the writer of the book of Hebrews is speaking of. This is common terminology. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as well brought up the imagery, the metaphor of a race. We know that. In all of us, if we are believers in this morning, Christ's followers are in a race that began when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior when we began a spiritual, born-again experience with Jesus. We started in a race. And the writer of the book of Hebrews this morning is encouraging the people in this letter that he's he's bringing forward to keep going in this race, to not to give up. You see, what was happening in the church, as, as this writer was observing, was the church had become somewhat lazy. It had become drifting. And, uh, you know, where many people should have been teachers, they were still having to take in just the the milk of the word. Some people were giving up in their faith. And so the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is encouraging those that are reading this to continue on, to persevere, to endure, to go through. And this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. I want to look at five particular points. I happen to alliterate points. I like to do that. I don't do it all the time. But this morning, I happen to do that. And so I want us to look at essentially five Ps, as I would say it, five Ps in a pod. And so this morning, I want us to see, first of all, in verse one, that we're encouraged to run this race with perseverance. We're encouraged to run this race with perseverance. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about the structure of this text. In this text, everything is modifying the one word, run. Everything that is in these three verses is modifying how to run the race. And so the first first thing that we see here as we read the text is that we're to run with perseverance. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let us throw throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. If you read the New Testament, we find this again and again as we we consider the texts of Scripture. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 13. He said, Strive to enter the narrow door. Many will seek to enter, but will not be able to. And in Matthew, Jesus speaking, at the Mount of Olives to his disciples at the end of the age says, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end will be saved. And Paul exhorts us in so many different texts to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, to stand firm in our our dealings with spiritual opposition, to keep alert with all perseverance, To fight the good fight of faith and take home of eternal life. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul says that he disciplines his body. That he holds fast. He encourages us to test ourselves. To make sure that we are in the faith. In 1 Corinthians he says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Strong exhortations to engage in this race. And one of the things that the writer of the book of Hebrews is encouraging us not to do is to acquiesce and give up, is to terminate our walk with God, to terminate and be passive, to possibly waver in our faith, to give up, to not to endure, not to persevere. But the Bible consistently tells us that we are to persevere as we walk with Jesus all the way to the end of our life. In America, probably our most famous evangelist that we've ever had that I know of has been Billy Graham. Have we heard of Billy Graham here? I know he did a 50s crusade. Did he do it? He did another later, 80s, 90s, I can't remember. Most of us know who Billy Graham is. He's still alive, by the way, 98 years old. In, in the United States. And Billy Graham became really a, a model of a, an evangelist who has stayed faithful. But you know, Billy Graham wasn't, when he first started out with Youth for Christ Ministries, he wasn't the only young superstar coming up in America. There were two other young evangelists, much like Billy Graham, and they had tremendous followings, tremendous audiences that would come and listen to them. One of the men's name was... Chuck Templeton he actually started the Ministry of Youth for Christ he was a versatile communicator he was a a dynamic speaker and uh, in the United States the National Association of Evangelicals voted him the most used of God in one year back in the 1950s I'm not sure which year it was he was the vice president of Youth for Christ he had a commanding presence Um, Newspapers and magazines featured articles about him. Um, He did a campaign in a city that had 129,000, Evansville, Indiana. And uh, during that campaign, they said that 91,000 people in that community came out to hear him speak. And that there were literally hundreds and hundreds of conversions. Some people said he was the best communicator that they had ever heard of. Chuck Templeton went off to get a higher degree at Princeton University and a few years later he left the faith. He actually wrote a book Farewell to God. He died not too long ago and I read his obituary and at the end of his life he said this, I miss my Jesus. I miss my Jesus. He had aborted his faith. He had not persevered. He chose not to keep running the race of faith. There was a second man. His name was Bron Clifford. He was in the South. People would line up for blocks and blocks to come and listen to that, this man speak. Some people said he was the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul. Well, that's a pretty high standard, I think. Greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul. Do you know what happened in his life? He was married. He had a couple kids. He eventually left his wife. He had two handicapped children. Left them. Started drinking. Died of cirrhosis of the liver in a small town in Texas. He'd abandoned his ministry. He'd abandoned his faith. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is encouraging each one of us this morning that we are to persevere. We are to endure in this walk we have with God, all the way to the very end of our life so that we might experience everlasting joy. Everlasting joy. We're to run with perseverance. Secondly, I'd like you to look at this text, and I want you to see another thing. We are to run with perspective. We're to run this race with perspective. Notice how this verse begins. It says, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles us. The therefore is hearkening us back to chapter 11, which is sometimes called the Hall of Fame of Faith. The Hall of Fame of Faith. And it mentions great people of faith, Moses and David and Isaac and uh, Abraham and Sarah, many others, Barak, all these people lived by faith, yet in Hebrews chapter 11, they didn't receive all the promises. That they, they had been promised, yet they lived by faith, and God was faithful to take them all the way to the end of their life. And so when we read this text, we, we have to think back to chapter 11, But I've I've been asked the question, who do you believe this great cloud of witnesses is? I've heard some people preach this text and say, well, it's all the people up in heaven that are kind of cheering you on to keep going. Go, go, go. And there's some truth to that possibly, but I don't think that that's really the meaning of the word witness here. The meaning of the word witness, as we all know, is someone who testifies to truth. Someone who testifies to truth. And I think this great cloud of witnesses that the writer is speaking of in this particular context is speaking about all these people in chapter 11 who faithfully lived to the end of their life with God, with promises that He had made and believed in God's Word and trusted Him. And God was faithful even through hardships, even through the sawing of bodies in half. God remained faithful. And this great cloud of witnesses are the people that we look to and we say, if they could be faithful, we can be faithful. If God was faithful to them, he'll be faithful to us all the way to the end of our lives. All the way to the end of our lives. When I was a pastor, we had an Easter service. Um, I had a church of maybe 300 people. And on this particular Easter Sunday, we were packed out. We had a lot of people there. And we didn't normally do this. We didn't normally have some calling in the front. But we were singing Christ the Lord is Risen Today as, as a final hymn. And I said, if anybody would just like to talk to me, I'm just going to step down here as, as we sing. And I began to sing this song. And um, I kind of closed my eyes. And I was sort of worshiping. And in our, our community, this we, we kind of raise our hands a little more than you might. And you know, I was uh, singing and i uh, had my eyes closed wasn't thinking much about what i had just said and all of a sudden i popped my eyes open and there was this couple very handsome older couple the man is probably taller than i am bald headed and they're standing there and they've come forward and they've come forward to trust in christ and i you know i was oh ye of little faith i had no idea that anybody was going to come to that that calling that i had just made and it turned out that the, the wife had was facing cancer surgery the next day. And uh, this couple became a dear couple in our congregation. I got to know them quite well. They'd never been in church. Well, they'd been in church, had not been in church in 30 years. And had shown up on this particular Sunday because their son came. And over the next couple years, I got to know them and spent time with them and discipled the man. His name was Jim. And Jim contracted liver cancer. And it was very serious. And he had to go to the University of Michigan and they they put some sort of pump in his liver. I can't remember all the details. But most people thought he would die within six months. And he ended up living for nearly two and a half years. And as Jim and I would spend time together, his favorite verse became, became the verse where the Apostle Paul at the end of his life says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And so at the end of his days, when he was in hospice care and I came to his house, he gathered my youngest sons together. He had, to have his, he had to have his shirt off all the time because of itching and that sort of thing. And he would exhort my sons to walk with Jesus. He had seven brothers and sisters. And a couple were Christians, some were not. He was exhorting his family to come to Christ. He had an unbelieving daughter that he would bring in and constantly witness to as he laid in bed waiting to die. And I said to Jim at the end, I said, Jim, I'm going to try to encourage you all the way to the very end. And he said I want that. I want you to pray for me. And so periodically as he worsened I would go up to him and and I could see him kind of in this death march I guess. And I'd go up and I'd say, "Jim, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith." And he'd give me a nod. Sometimes a couple times And then he got worse and worse. He still nodded. And I made an agreement. I said, any way you can communicate with me. And finally, he was very close to death. And I went up to him as he laid there, and I said, Jim, Jim, fight the good fight. And all of a sudden, he couldn't move. I saw his eyes blink just like that. Fight the good fight. And he endured to the end. Faithful, he ran the race to the end. He had perspective that God would be faithful to transition him into the next life forever for joy. We're called to run the race with perseverance, and we're called to run the race with perspective. This great cloud of witnesses testifies to God's faithfulness. And dear Christians that we've known who've gone into eternity testify to God's faithfulness there's a third thing I'd like to have us examine for a moment here and that is this we run with preparation I don't know if we can actually run with preparation but somehow I had to fit it into this uh, this outline so we run with preparation we run with training. You'll notice something that it says here. It, it, it says, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and then let us run with perseverance. You'll notice there are two things here, two things that the writer mentions. Everything that hinders in our life and the sin which so easily entangles. Two separate things. Now, I don't have to ask you about your sin. I know we're all sinners. I know we all sin. I know Jason sins a lot. Um, I've come to realize that. We're all sinners. We know what our sin is. We're to cast that away. We're to to resist these temptations. We're to confess our sins. And uh, Jesus is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's this little phrase, the things which so easily hinder us, Everything that hinders the weights. You know, it would be ridiculous for an Olympic runner to add weight to his body. You know, they try to strip down to everything that they can. Some shave their heads so their hair isn't resistant to the wind. Anything that would hinder whatsoever, a racer tries to eliminate so that they can run as fast as they possibly can. And in our Christian lives, friends, there are things that we realize may be hindering us. They may not be sin, but they could be hindering us from serving the Savior more effectively, from serving the body of Christ more efficiently, from making our hearts more acceptable before Jesus. My wife would tell you that I have a tendency to spend time on a computer much longer than I probably need to. Um, I, can, I can lose my way in my computer. And I think some of you could relate to that. And I realize how much time that absorbs in my life. Now that may be a thing that encumbers me from developing my relationship with God or, or investing my time in the church or sharing my faith with someone else. And I think what the writer is saying here is that you know your sin. You need to deal with your sin. But there are other things in our life that maybe are encumbering us, weights that we need to set aside so that we can run this race more effectively with perseverance and perspective and that we can honor Jesus more effectively. And those are the things, quite honestly, that we maybe need to examine in our own lives. The things that distract us. The habit. It's not a sin, but it's a habit and it doesn't encourage my spiritual life. I think that's what the writer has in mind. Training for a race, laying aside everything, not being encumbered. We're to run this race for the glory of Jesus Christ. So we're to run with perseverance and perspective and with preparation as well. There's a fourth thing that I, I see here, and I just take that from really the word race. It says we're to run this race with perseverance, but we're also to run it with purpose. I think a race has a purpose. Every race, at least that I know of, has a has a beginning and it has an ending, a start and a finish. Starting line, finish line. When you were born of the Spirit of God, you started this race. You were very immature, but you started. And now you've come along this spectrum, and we're coming now to the finish line. I've changed jobs, and I've kind of joked about the fact that in, in America we talk about football, American football, and when you're very close to the goal line, we call it the red zone. And so guys that are kind of my age say, hey, I'm in the red zone of life. I'm almost to the goal line. The red zone of ministry. There's a purpose in a race. Every one of us is called with a purpose because we all are in the race if we're followers of Christ. If we're Christ followers, we're in this race. And there's a purpose for us. And the purpose is to finish. To gain a crown of righteousness. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is Paul's Reference to this metaphor of race says this. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as though one beating just the air. I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There is a purpose that we have as believers in Christ to live and honor Jesus in all things, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. We do all to the glory of Christ. We have a purpose. Paul, at the very end of his life, as I've already quoted, said this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Friends, it's a a battle just to keep the faith. Paul says so. It's a battle. And we have to prepare ourselves, and we have to understand that this is our calling, our purpose, is to remain faithful. To persevere, to have perspective, to be prepared, and to run with purpose. And finally, we're to run with pain. We're to run with pain. you notice how the writer here begins to transition a bit. And he talks about running the race. And then he says in verse 2 that we're to fix our eyes upon Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, and I believe that that is his vision of all the ingathering of his people. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And is now sat down at the right hand of the Father. That Jesus endured the suffering, the pain, the rejection. And friends, We all know this is true. That the Christian life is not just a perfect life. Unfortunately, some people witness to people that way. Hey, if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be great. I've had people tell me, I didn't have many problems until I came to Christ. Now I have to deal with my sin that I finally understand. We run with pain. We run with pain. And sometimes... We have to go through it. But you know what? I, I don't have to quote Romans 8, 28. But here's what I believe about that verse, that God works all things together for the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That God is, in your life, doing two things, always, if we're believers. Number one, he's working for his glory. And number two, he's working for our good. So even the pain that comes into our life has a purpose. It's not just random. As though God is not looking into your life and overseeing the events and the things that are happening in your life. No, God knows those things. And he's working for his glory and he's working for your good. It doesn't always make sense in our finite minds. But we have the promises of God to bank our lives on. We have the people of God who have walked before us we're seeing people persevere through these kinds of things to encourage us to keep going in our faith. Several years ago in the United States, there was a funeral not far from where we live in Michigan. And it was uh, for a woman and her young baby daughter. And uh, this funeral, they were the, the, the family, their, their name were the Bowers. And they had been missionaries in Peru. And they were coming out on a a missionary aviation flight plane. Uh, I think they were going on some sort of sabbatical or some sort of vacation. I can't remember exactly what. And so they were flying out uh, over this river. And a Peruvian jet in the Peruvian Air Force located this plane and thought it was a drug plane. You maybe heard this story. And uh, they ordered it to go down. And it didn't go down didn't land, and so they shot it. They shot it down. And somehow, uh, the pilot, although he was wounded in the leg, was able to land the plane in this river. But the bullets penetrated the plane and killed the mother. Her name was Veronica Bowers, and their little baby, Charity, who was on her lap, the bullet went right through. The father, Jim Bowers, and another son, six-year-old son named Corey, survived, as did the pilot. And at the funeral in Michigan, they were from Fruitport, Michigan. And at this uh, large Baptist church, um, 1,500 people were at the the funeral service. And uh, Jim Bauer stood up and he spoke about the pain, but he spoke about God's purpose in pain. And then Elizabeth Elliot spoke via teleconference. Elizabeth Elliot's husband had died uh, to the Aka Indians and she quoted a poem and then they had another man get up His name was Steve Saint and his dad had been martyred by the Aka Indians in South America And when he was a young boy at about six He was in a funeral for these five missionaries that had died He didn't know much about it, but they had brought him in to address the six-year-old little son And I'm just gonna read to you what he had to say to this six-year-old boy who had just lost his mother and his little sister. And here was this crowd of people there to honor them and to mourn with them. And Steve St. St stood up. He was 50 years old. And he said this to this little boy, Corey, at the funeral. He said, Corey, my name is Steve. And a long time ago, about the same age as you, I was at a meeting just like this in a church. And I didn't really know what was going on. The adults kept using the word tragedy. Well, now I'm an old guy, and I think they were probably wrong. My dad and four of his good friends were buried in the jungle. My mom said they were never coming home. And I said, well, where'd they go? And My mom said, well, they went to live with Jesus. And I thought, man, isn't that great that daddy got to go sooner than the rest of us and now when people say that it was a tragedy I know that it wasn't and then he looked up at the crowd of his 1500 people and he explained the difference between the unbelieving world and the followers of Jesus and this is what he said for them the unbelieving world the pain is fundamental and the joy is superficial because it can't last. But for believers, the pain is superficial and the joy is fundamental because it's everlasting joy. And that's the difference. That God calls us to run the race even with pain even with pain. But it's fundamental joy. It's fundamental joy. And so the writer is exhorting us this morning as I close. He's telling us to run this race with perseverance, to run this race with perspective, to run the race with preparation, with purpose, and friends, to run the race even with pain even with pain. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a God that works on our behalf. You are such a God that even the difficult things in our life, the pain that we struggle with, even that has a purpose. We thank you that you are continually sanctifying us, making us more like Christ, So that one day we will experience your very presence face to face and we will experience everlasting joy. And so this morning we give you all praise and thanks and we do so in Jesus name. Amen.